Recently, Charlotte was attending a party for one of her colleagues, uh, a retirement party, I think it was, and it was based on a farm in Pembrokeshire. And chatting about her experience the next day, she was pretty keen to share with me an interesting fact that she'd learned while she was there. So her story went that the second president of the United States of America, John Adams, was born on this little farm in South Wales. That is interesting, isn't it? And because of his Welshness, engraved on the cornerstone of the White House in Washington are the words Cymru Am Beth. Cool. But wait a second. It's not that I'm calling Charlotte a liar, but as she shared that story with me, I thought to myself, no, that, that can't be right. Not because I've got a small view of Wales and Welshness, not because I doubted John Adams' Welsh heritage, or indeed that I have any sort of opinion on whether there is actually an inscription on the foundation of that particular building. No, no, I thought that can't be right because somewhere in the back of my mind I understood it to be true that no one who is born outside of the USA could ever become president of that country. I raised my misgivings with her. I said, I don't think that's right, Shah. She stood resolute. A few moments passed before she then exclaimed, John Adams' grandfather was born in South Wales. She wasn't lying, she just misunderstood part of the story, forgotten it, shall we say. But do you ever have that sort of feeling when someone is telling you something? Do you ever think to yourself, no, that, that can't be right? Deep down inside, someone presenting you with a truth causes you to react with misgivings, with unease, with uncertainty. That perhaps you can't even explain why you think that they're wrong, but you just, you just know something is wrong. Maybe you've been in the situation where you've really got the impression through how someone has acted or their, their manner, their, their speech, hasn't just come across as incorrect as it was with Charlotte in this story with me, but intentionally so, manipulative, that they are lying to you for some weird reason, for some personal gain. What do we do when we experience that? disconnect. That disconnect between what we're being told about something, ourselves, the world, life, and what we believe, or what we think we already know. What do we do in those moments where there's a gap, where there's a butting together of ideas and truth? Where can we go? How, how, how do we assess whether or not what's being said is right. I think it's fair to say that most of us have uh, a conscious or an unconscious list of trusted resources. If the information is coming from one of those, then we'll accept it pretty easily, actually. We won't assess the information too much. We'll just take what's being said as being true. Conversely, I think we, we all have a probably a longer list of suspect sources, suspicious 
sources, wherein, no matter what they say, we always begin treating the information with this suspicion. It's actually worse than that. Did you know, generally speaking, when we hear something that confirms a bias that we already have, we require little to no authentication. Regardless of the source, if it fits our pre-embraced narrative, then we accept it to be true. And when we hear something that challenges one of our fundamental ideas, there's almost no threshold of evidence that we'll accept. Because that view will always be viewed with suspicion. If you want to think about that, just imagine debating someone who believes in a particular conspiracy theory. Neither you nor they are really looking to have their minds changed. You're always going to view the other one with utter suspicion and not really give the information shared the weight and the assessment that it deserves. But thankfully, the God revealed to us in our Bibles is revealed to be one who is truthful, always so, always right, and always trustworthy. In Numbers 23, verse 19, we read this about God. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Psalm 33 that we opened up with this morning said this, didn't it? For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. Now, in isolation, these sorts of pronouncements might not convince you. After all, they just are statements, aren't they? Statements of something which is claiming to be true. But think about them. Think about the context in which they're made. Sometimes we'll refer to these sorts of things as uh, questions of faith. Are, are you going to trust God when he tells you that he's true? It's a question of faith. Are you going to trust God when he tells you that he doesn't change his mind? It's a question of faith. The whole notion of faith, though, has taken a bit of a battering over the last 100 years or so. By now, when we use that expression, when we hear someone speaking about faith, we assume that they mean closing their eyes and ignoring the evidence, not assessing anything at all, and choosing to believe what you want to believe. But that's not what it's always meant. That's not what it means when I use it this morning. It's not what it means when the Bible speaks about faith or presents to us something about God like this. We're not supposed to close our eyes and ignore the evidence. We are supposed to assess and see whether these words themselves are true. You see, faith has always been and should always be about weighing the evidence, coming to a conclusion, and then trusting on into the future based on that. So what evidence can be weighed and measured and trusted this morning was weighed and measured and trusted by the people who made those statements for them to believe that God is always true. Well, the first, as I said, came from Numbers. And now you think about the people in Numbers, the Israelites, rescued by God from slavery in Egypt and whisked out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. See, God had said to them, I will rescue you. And he had. 
over and over again in the early chapters of Exodus. We read about God promising that certain plagues would come, disasters would come on the place and the people of Egypt if they didn't let the Israelites go. And over and over again, God did. You see, the people who make this claim about God, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind, they'd experienced right there, up close and personal, in the dark, in the dust, in the awkwardness of life, they had experienced that God was one who said and did, that he is trustworthy. And what about Psalm 33? Not necessarily a psalm of King David, not all of the psalms are written by King David, but if not him, by someone who is influenced and affected by him, let's think about David in his life. It's a story of God promising to, to lift him up from being the lowest in a family, in the lowest uh, tribe, in a nothing nation to be king. God promised him when he was a young man that that would happen, and God kept that promise. All through David's life, he was pursued, he was persecuted, he was hunted by Saul before he became king and by others. God promised David that he would keep him, that he would rescue him, that he would be a shelter and a shield to him, and God was. So whether it's David who's writing that psalm or it's someone reflecting on the life of David, they can quite easily come to that conclusion that all God's words are right and true, that he is faithful in all that he does. You see, we can actually assess the information when it comes to God being truthful. We can weigh, we can measure, we can read the stories, the histories, and come to that certain conclusion that yes, he is right. He is true. He is faithful. And we don't even need to go back into all those ancient stories. We can go back to reasonably recent history and the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus was someone who, 2,000 years ago, made certain promises, wasn't he? Promises that he has kept at great cost to himself. Jesus promised his disciples long before the plot was formulated between Judas and the um, Jewish officials to um, have him arrested and executed. He promised that he would lay down his own life in our place only to take it back up again. He kept that promise. Jesus died. Jesus rose to life again. It's almost, it's so wonderful, it's almost unbelievable. Many people do doubt it. Jesus promised that he would send another one after him, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, power from on high. And we have spent months as a church in the book of Acts, story after story after story, where he kept that promise. He was true, he was right, he was faithful in the things that he said. So do you see how none of this equates to closing our eyes and blindly having faith, blindly believing that God is good and God is right? as we so often think of nowadays. We're to turn our brains on, to come to him, and in so many ways that we can assess, say, well, yeah, look, you have been faithful. Yeah, look, you have been true. Yeah, you have carried through the things that you have said. You see, it's not blindly assessing, blindly believing. 
But it's coming to that settled conviction that God is always true. Now that in and of itself does not then say that we turn our faculties off, does it? That doesn't suggest that just because we know that God is true, that we then have to stop thinking for ourselves and whatever we read, we accept without any question. Some people will tell you that. Some people will tell you that when you struggle, when that disconnect that we spoke of, first of all, between what you think, what you believe, and what someone else says uh, occurs with God, that you, you just ignore, ignore that uh, discomfort and you believe what he says, some people have said that and it's harmful, it's dangerous, it's not helpful. Because as human beings, we can only push that doubt, that, that skepticism, that disconnect down so far, so deep for so long before it rears its ugly head and we lose faith altogether. No, the scripture encourages us to ask questions, to prod and to, to probe, to use the faculties that God has said our brains particularly because it's confident that God is ultimately true and right and faithful. Far too often though, what we do is either ignore the differences or we point the finger at God and say, you must live and fall in line with what I already believe. That's a great sadness, I think. When we elevate ourselves or our culture, our society, our common wisdom to a higher level than God. And look down at him and say, oh, poor dad, he doesn't really know. Take courage this morning. This is the good news that's being presented to us by our Bibles. That this God who, who does continue to speak into our lives today speaks truth. Even if it rubs against our grain, even if it ruffles our feathers, we're allowed to wrestle with it and to find out why he is right, why he is true. See, God isn't one who is expressing an opinion when he speaks to us. He's not someone who will change his mind or his point of view. It's not gonna develop as he learns new information. Remember, as we were thinking about last week, God knows it all. His judgments and his proclamations are right and true. So what does that mean for us then? Well, I just want to suggest two things this morning. Firstly, this, it means that we should approach God with humility. Not like a teacher coming to grade an essay, red pen in hand, knowing all the answers already, but a student coming to learn. And when we experience that disconnect, earnestly searching for answers, raising our question, asking, how can that be? How can that be if I believe this or this happens or that happens? We need to approach God with humility. Let me share another presidential story with you. There was another president, Thomas Jefferson, who crafted his own Bible. It's a story that's become a bit apocryphal now, but basically he literally took a razor blade out, cut bits out of the gospels that he liked, excluded the bits that he didn't like, glued them all together, and that was his Bible. How sad when we do that. When there are bits of God that we're happy to latch onto because they fit our narrative, but then other bits that we want to jettison, that we want to ignore, that we want to call out for being lies. 
If God says something that I already like, I cherish it. If he disagrees with me, then I ignore it or ask him to apologize for those things. That shouldn't be the case because we're not always right. We're not always true. Our world is filled with errors, but God has proven himself time and time again to be right. So let's approach God with humility. Sadly, too often folks have fallen away from the faith because they've decided that if God disagrees with them, then he must 100% be wrong. Even more sadly, folks have fallen away from the faith because they've been told that if God ever disagrees with them, then they've just got to have faith to push their concerns, their questions to one side and just believe. We're to come with humility knowing that he is truthful and trustworthy and able to take our questions, able to take our assessment and our asking if it's done from the right place. He's proven it already in human history. He's proven it probably in your own life. So come and seek truth in him, not a self-righteous justification. That's the first thing, approach God with humility. But number two, be willing to test this world. Be willing to test this world. Because so much of, of the disconnect comes not because what God says is, is unbelievable or what God says um, is so hard to believe, but because the world says different and we listen to the world more readily. Don't take something as true in our society just because it sounds good or appealing. We see all manner of clever sounding wise words on our social media, don't we? But our world and our ourselves, we can make no such claim that is made about God in the scriptures. We can make no such claim to being those who are true and right and faithful to our words. Because fashions change, morals change, opinions change, convention change, traditions change. All these things that we value in society now, that we hold up as being the most important virtues, it changes. It changes to suit its own needs. It changes to, to gain more popularity. It changes, it changes, it changes. And as appealing as it often sounds, as affirming as it so often is to our own sinfulness and selfishness, we must be willing to test what the world has to say and not just to drink it down in, a, in an unbelieving way. It's weird actually how we're more willing to do that with the world than we are with God. We should test both. Hum with humility approach God with scrutiny, test our world and ask that question, can that be right? You see, Jesus said that if the spirit was in us, the fruit of the spirit would be growing, that he would know us by our fruit. The world would know us by our fruit. And the spirit is the spirit of truth. So brothers and sisters, are we those who are seeking truth? The good news is that God is true. His words are right. He is faithful. If the Spirit of Christ is at work in us, it's to him we'll be going and being moulded and changed. 
Come to him with humility. Test the world. Thank God that he is right.